For reasons that don't need explanation, this song has been in my head all week by Towns Van Zant. If I needed you, would you come to me? Would you come to me and ease my pain? For if you needed me, I would come to you. I'd swim the seas to ease your pain. And we want that sort of loyalty. Uh, We all want someone that would be that faithful to us, that they would do whatever it took to ease the pain that we're in. But if we look at our nation, uh, whether it be through the statistics of marriage or through uh, the statistics in our business practices or the statistics of how long we stay in either a job or a community or how quickly we change our friendships, it seems that faithfulness and loyalty have fallen on hard times, uh, at least in our cultural milieu. And so this morning we want to look at faithfulness and first ask the question, what is it and why is it that we love it? We come this morning to this aspect of the fruit of the Spirit, faithfulness. Uh, And the careful hearer may wonder why I skipped goodness. Uh, And it's not because it's not important, uh, but because there's substantial overlap with kindness. And for the sake of finishing this book before Advent, I thought it would be best to move on ahead uh, so you don't hear me repeating much of what was already spoken. Well, this word that Paul uses here is a word that's very common through the book of Galatians, but it's often just translated faith. Uh, It's a word that you know throughout the Gospels, but it can mean one of two things depending on context. It either means faith, so the fruit of the Spirit is that we have faith, or It can mean one who is worthy of faith, someone who is faithful, someone that you uh, could place your faith into. And it would seem in our context this morning, especially as the fruit of the Spirit does seem to be aimed at the community of Galatia and their lives together, that it's not that the fruit of the Spirit is faith, although the Spirit does grant us faith, but that the Spirit works in us faithfulness. He works in us this uh, fruit where we are worthy of, if you will, faithing in. People can believe or trust in us. When we think of this word trust, uh, the faithfulness, we think of that reality of someone who's trustworthy. They're dependable. They're loyal in all areas. There's no uh, cracks, if you will, where you're wondering what they're going to do in any given circumstance. And of course, this term, even as we saw this morning, maybe uh, for too long of a reading, uh, that this term faithful is often used of God in Scripture and is attributed, at least as far as how often it is mentioned, as one of the attributes that gets a lot of focus concerning the character of the God that we serve. In Psalm 33, it says, "The The word of the Lord is right and true, and He is faithful in all that He does. And so notice faithfulness has this reality that the one who is faithful is a truth teller. You know, all of God's words are true. And he's faithful then to follow up on those things and do what he says. 1 Thessalonians says, the one who calls you is faithful, he will do it. Being faithful is being someone who does what he says he's going to do. They tell the truth and then they follow through on the truth that they've told. They keep their word. Deuteronomy 32, he is a rock. He is perfect and all his ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong, upright and just as he. 
He's a God who always does the right thing. He can be counted on to do the right thing in the right circumstance at all times. And Deuteronomy 7 says, Now therefore the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps his covenant, even to a thousand generations. He's a God who is faithful because he keeps his promises. He makes covenants and he doesn't go back on the vows that he has made. And so to be faithful is to be worthy of being trusted. And the components of that we see are we're people who tell the truth, we do what we say we're going to do, we keep our promises, we're stable, we're solid. That is why so often in the scripture, God is referred to as a rock, because there's this solidity to him, there's a stability to him, that he is always the same yesterday, today, and forever, and we can count on him to be who he is day in and day out. So for us to be faithful means that we're people that can be counted on to do what we're going to say, to be where we're supposed to be, when hard time comes, to remain there, even through the difficulty, to be loyal, to keep our word, to follow through on the vows and the promises that we have made. It means this attribute that we vow in all of our wedding vows. I mean, if you uh, have, have heard them recently, all that we are saying to the other person is, I will truly be faithful. Not merely that I will show fidelity physically, that I, uh, you know, forsaking all others will give myself only unto you. Surely that's one part of our faithfulness. But it's this matter of resolve to remain loyal no matter what life brings to this relationship, right? For better or for worse, I will remain the same in my attitude and my loyalty toward you richer or poorer, in sickness and in health, in joy and in sorrow, for how long? As long as we both shall live, we will remain consistent to this promise. This attribute of faithfulness is one that, uh, you know, we desire as a nation in our soldiers, you know, a captain, if you will, who will go down with the ship. That is a, you know, a pertinent metaphor for loyalty and faithfulness, that I'm going to stay no matter what. I mean, the, the Marines uh, wear this even on their, their, their own motto, you know, uh, always faithful. That no matter where, where the battle goes, there we will be remaining faithful to our charge. We want one who in the face of the danger against poor odds and almost certain doom will still hold the line and seek to fight for his country and his people. I mean, faithfulness is what we want in our friends. Right? Someone who we know can endure with us on our worst day and still call us back next week to get together. <laughs> we love this virtue when we see it. It's almost certainly, while arguable, why Sam Wise is most likely the most loved character in all of the Lord of the Rings. It's because of this quality of faithfulness that he's going to do whatever it takes to remain loyal to his friend Frodo. If you remember, uh, you know, he really is the epitome of Mary's original uh, entreaty to get Frodo to let them all come along and join him on this journey. You remember Frodo's big question is, 
Who can I trust? He says to them, it does not seem that I can trust anyone, said Frodo. To which you remember in the book, it says, Sam was very dismayed by this comment. It all depends on what you want, put in Mary. You can trust us to stick with you through thick and thin to the bitter end. And you can trust us to keep any secrets of yours closer than you keep it yourself. But you cannot trust us to let you face trouble alone and go off without a word. For we are your friends. Anyway, there it is. We know most of what Gandalf has told you. We know a good deal about the ring and we are horribly afraid. But we are coming with you or following you like hounds. I mean, that's what we want uh, in friendship. That really is the epitome of it. And of course, as Sam uh, comes to the end of this journey, he keeps his promise most totally. He says to, to Frodo, I made a promise, Mr. Frodo, a promise. Do not leave him, Samwise Gamgee. And I don't mean to. And of course, we are drawn to that kind of loyalty and faithfulness, trustworthiness. And that is what, according to Scripture, God is working in us by the Spirit. It's what he desires for us to display daily, one to another. He desires this kind of faithfulness in our homes, with our wives, our husbands, to be loyal to them, with our children, to faithfully instruct them and exemplify for them the faith. He desires it at our workplace or in our vocation, that day in and day out we're dependable, able to be counted on, not only to put in a full day's work, but also to do so in a way to show that we care. It's to be in our friendships, that we're going to be there even when things get messy, when the other person's life becomes difficult and maybe less attractive than when you first became friends. It's to be throughout our church life, that we remain true to our vows, even if people let us down, or even if the church doesn't live up to our expectations and all that we had hoped for, that we promise to be bound one to another. Because this is a large part of this particular virtue, to remain steadfast, loyal, and true, even when the other isn't worthy of those things. And so that is what it is, and that's why we like it. But next we need to see what we are, and why we hate it. <laughs> you know, we know and love this sort of faithfulness when we see it, and it irks us terribly when we don't. I mean, when folks decide to leave their hometown in order to take their talents to South Beach, uh, it doesn't sit well with us. Clearly not a lot of basketball fans in here, uh, but that is uh, what a current Laker said when he was leaving Cleveland to go cherry-pick a title that he couldn't win on his own. Um, when a soldier deserts his post out of fear and endangers the lives of many, that is something that's ugly to us. When someone stomps on the flag of their own country, a country that gives them the freedom requisite to display such disloyalty, it infuriates us. But of course it's even worse or more damaging when it's personal. When a friend moves on because they have found, you know, a cooler crowd, or you found out they've been talking behind your back. Or when a spouse allows themselves to wander so far in their affections that they end up in the arms of another. Or when a spouse quits on a marriage that they promised themselves two years before. 
because things have become difficult. When a child turns their back on their upbringing and their family and wants nothing to do with home, when a sibling sides against another sibling along with others when they're their own flesh and blood, when an employee or a partner who has received loyalty and kindness sees greener grass or maybe a bigger paycheck and leaves you in the lurch or starts another business that looks a quite a bit like yours just across the street. I mean, there are very few things that are worse than being disloyal. And there are very few things, even psychologically, that damage people more than betrayal and the reality of betrayal. But this is the rub. Because faithfulness is what is required in our relationships and in our work and ultimately in our relationship to God. It is no wonder that the metaphor is often used in Scripture to speak of Israel and of us that we are unfaithful or even more to the point that we are adulterous in our relationship to God. If God is our God and he has married himself to us, he's wed himself to us, we are his beloved, he has chosen us as his own, he has made promises to us, every time we choose sin, or every time that we just act in one sense uh, utterly disinterested or apathetic toward God, we are saying to him, I love this thing more than I love you. And every time we step out on our husband and play the role of the adulterer. I mean, talk about fair-weather friends. What about when God sends us trials or hardships? How quickly we begin to question his goodness or doubt his love for us. I mean, that's why it's so hard for us as justified sinners. We are divided people. And I don't mean one against the other. That happens as well. But in our own persons, we are divided. How badly at one level we want to please God. We want to do the right thing. We want to be the kind of person that displays this fruit of the Spirit always faithful. How badly we want to love and serve Him. And yet, how sadly at another level, we are often apathetic at best and downright rebellious at our worst. I mean, we are fickle, as fickle as our own mood oftentimes. I mean, whatever mood we are in, whatever emotional state tends to drive what actions we take. We are unstable. We are very, the very opposite of God who is this rock, who is constant, who is steady, who can always be depended on. I mean, if he is that solid, then we, of course, are so much more uh, fluid than that. Almost liquid. While we want to be faithful and trustworthy, if we're honest, we can't even trust ourselves. I mean, how many different resolutions can you make that you don't follow through on before you begin to wonder if you should take yourself seriously or not? I mean, how many times have you decided or resolved to do this or that thing and just not followed through to do it, or began with all sorts of zeal only to fade in days, weeks, if we're doing well, maybe months? How many times have you sworn off that particular sin, no more, only to fall back into it at a later date? 
And the hard part, maybe the worst part, is that you meant it when you promised. That you really wanted to change this time. And then the question comes, so how do we even trust ourselves if in our most sincere endeavors, when we really mean what we say, we still don't follow through? Or even keep our own word to ourselves. Promise keepers, we are not. But the fruit of the Spirit is faithful. And oftentimes we are faithless. I mean, so how can we know that we're even going to make it to the end of this life trusting Jesus if we've shown all these track records of trying to do the right thing and not doing the right thing or trying to change this or that pattern and not being able to change it I mean what kind of confidence can you really have in yourself I mean how is it going so far concerning your track record and your commitments to God and his holiness I mean if you're sitting here right now saying well I mean, all things being equal, I'd say pretty good, uh, then you're the scariest one of all, to be honest, and probably in the most trouble. I mean, consider it. Our Lord on his way to show forth his love and his ultimate loyalty to us is going to a cross, and he says quite emphatically that every single disciple is going to desert him. To which Peter, in all sincerity and in all confidence and out of sincere loyalty to the man that stands before him says, even if everyone else deserts you, if all these yellow bellies turn and run, I will never desert you. He means every word of it. I mean, he's no punk. He's going he's gonna to do what he's saying. But as you all know how the story goes, he folds like a lawn chair when questioned by a servant girl, and it only gets worse from there. And that is what is so hard for us. How do we even know what we'll do tomorrow? How can we have confidence that things will end well? How do we know that we'll make it in faith and faithfulness to the end? Well, as we close, this is what he is, and it's why we love him. You see, while we are divided, the Lord is one. Who he is, is what he does. Who he is, is what he does. And he is faithful. And therefore, everything he does is faithful. It is who he is. He always remains loyal. And steadfast. He always keeps his word. He never disappoints. He never changes his mind. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And what is most comforting about his faithfulness is that it is aimed to us in a particular way in Christ Jesus. He is faithful to forgive us, he is faithful to be merciful. He has promised good to us and grace to us in his son. He made a covenant in blood, a promise that anyone who comes to Jesus, he will show mercy and never cast away. That this one who began a good work is faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. I mean, that famous hymn that we will sing this morning, Great is Thy Faithfulness, says, Great is Thy Faithfulness, O God my Father, there is no shadow of turning with Thee. Thou changest not. And what does he say next? Thy compassions, they fail not. 
Notice, he says, God, you're faithful. You don't ever change. And the first thing he wants to remind himself and the Lord of is, because you don't change and you're faithful, your compassions won't fail. Unless you just think this is, you know, the words of the hymn writer who's trying to, you know, make God nicer than he is. Of course, he's picking up even the very title of this hymn from the scriptures themselves. Now listen to what God says or what is said of God in Lamentations. The steadfast love of the Lord, what? It never ceases. Again, it's constant. It's faithful. It's always there. It's repeated. It just never stops flowing. His mercies never come to an end. They're enduring. They're always there. They are faithful like God himself. They are new. Notice, every single morning, as faithful as God is to bring the sun up in the morning, so faithful he is to be there with his mercy towards sinners, to where uh, the author says to us at the conclusion of it all, great is your faithfulness. And notice what it's all in reference to. His love, his mercy, his compassion. One of the most flagrant displays of the faithfulness of God to us as his people. So much so that even when we are faithless, he remains faithful. Why? Because even when we are divided in ourselves, we seek to be faithful and we're not. We end up being faithless. God is one. When we are faithless, he is faithful because that is who he is. And notice what he says. He cannot deny himself. He always has to be the same and he's promised to show mercy to his people and to bring them to a good end in Christ Jesus. He has kept a promise and he, he has made a promise and he will keep it. And even when you're not doing so hot on your end of the bargain, he says, that doesn't change my character and I will do what I said. I mean, this is exactly what Jesus spoke to Peter when all of his confidence had gone the way of Cain. Simon, Simon, Satan has desired to sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith will not fail. And when do you have returned, strengthen your brothers. Which is a weird prayer because Peter botched it pretty good. <laughs> Jesus says, you know, I pray that your faith won't fail. And what Peter is probably most notorious for now going down in history, as wonderful as he is as an apostle, is this particular event where he denied his Lord three times in the most tragic moments of his life. And yet Peter went to the end confessing Christ as Lord. Because Jesus is faithful even to faithless disciples who are overconfident in their trustworthiness and speak beyond their station. See, the only one we can speak of in all the world as truly always faithful, no offense to our fellow Marines here, is God himself. This one who has sworn to his own hurt that he will save sinners Come what may. He's proven his faithfulness in the sending of his own son, the one who is faithful and true according to the book of Revelation, the one who never broke faith with his own father, the one who is faithful to his task, to the bitter end, drinking that cup to the dregs, and who now lives to faithfully intercede for you day in and day out until you make it to glory.
whose promises are so sure that we can already know that this particular aspect of the fruit of the Spirit will rise up in us because we know the words that He will speak over us on the last day. Enter, well done, good and faithful servant. God will not be ashamed to speak over you that you have indeed been faithful. Because in Christ's promises to you, he is assuring you that that is exactly what will come to pass. It is this knowledge of God's faithfulness and the works that he has done for us in faithfulness that ultimately works faithfulness in us. It's knowing these things for real that we can have confidence to try again. To get up and do it one more time. To keep on going even though we failed the last 900 and some odd times we've tried. To enter his house week in and week out, where he promises faithfully to feed us his word and his sacrament, and in so doing seals his faithful promise to us again and assures us that all is well, and that we have permission to press on. It is this surety that moves us to live a faith, to, live, to a life of faith and to the fruit of that faith, which is faithfulness. I mean, we see this uh, quite wonderfully in the life of Polycarp. If you've read Fox's Book of Martyrs, it's known to you. But this early Christian uh, living in the, in the second century is being burned at the stake and he has opportunity. He's old and he's frail. He's in his 80s. And he's given opportunity to recant and it's somewhat an act of mercy. At least... Uh, in the mind uh, of those killing him. And they just said, hey, for your own sake, swear and we'll release you. Just reproach Christ. To which Polycarp, we are told, his last words were these, eighty and six years have I served him. And he has never once wronged me. How shall I blaspheme my king who has saved me? Notice the way that this one stays faithful to the end is he looks back and says, how can I be faithless when I look back in over 86 years? This God has never wronged me once. Always faithful. And it's the faithfulness of God that he looks back upon and depends upon that ultimately leads him to a life of faithfulness. May we join our God in his faithfulness Maybe forgiving again for the 77th time, trying again though the odds are low, being there even when they weren't there for you. Because that's what he's done for you time and time and time again. I'd keep going, but we don't have time. And here he is again today promising goodness to you because he's faithful. And he shows mercy every morning. Nothing changes with him. And so may you taste and see the goodness and faithfulness of God as we come to his table this morning. Let's pray.